If you like music's greatest mysteries, you've got to check out Dan Rather's The Big Interview for some incredible true stories from the biggest names in music. Check out the podcast sometime. On this episode of Music's Greatest Mysteries, we ask the question, who really invented rock's most iconic symbol? All of us in the heavy metal community, we need to know this. Next, we explore the evidence surrounding Tupac Shakur's death and the possibility that Tupac is still alive. I'm not convinced that he's gone. And finally, who is Patty Boyd? And is she rock and roll's ultimate muse? It's a spirit, it's always an attitude. She had something within her that everyone felt around her. It's the most natural thing to do at a metal concert. Throw up the horns and rock out. The devil horns, that's how you find your people. But who was the first to raise the horns? Who invented this timeless gesture? All of us in the heavy metal community really need to know who officially paid proper respect to the Dark Lord. You know, we need to know this. I don't know that anyone should ever play metal again until this is figured out. For many heavy metal fans, there's one name that immediately comes to mind when they see the horns. I never saw anyone do this before I saw Ronnie James Dio do this. Ronnie James Dio is this kind of heavy metal everyman who just embodies everything about metal. Like he's just small and tough and has so much energy that he's always throwing out. Ronnie James Dio is one of the greatest vocalists of all time when he sings Baby Werewolves Howl. But Dio's journey to heavy metal icon isn't what you'd expect. His first touring gig, a doo-wop band in the 60s. He used to be the trumpet player in Dick Clark's Caravan. Now they're playing a gig with the Rolling Stones. And here comes Brian Jones and looks at him and goes, you gotta be kidding. His hair, his whole image. And my children were just laughing at him. And that's when he knew I gotta do something about this. And that was the moment in his life when everything changed. The meeting with the Stones motivates Dio and he quickly changes his tune. First with the band Elf and then Rainbow. And in 1979, after Ozzy Osbourne quits, he finds himself as the frontman for the ultimate heavy metal band, Black Sabbath. The Sabbaths didn't know that they were gonna continue until Ronnie James Dio came along. Dio was what pulled Sabbath back together. Black Sabbath with Ozzy and the Black Sabbath with Ronnie are totally different bands. It was a totally different sound. In the beginning, he had some naysayers and he had some people giving him the finger. But you know what? He just overcame it and people realized there's the two bands and they're both as good as each other. Dio has some big shoes to fill. To many fans, there is no Black Sabbath without Osborne. So Dio needs a way to pay tribute to his predecessor, but make the band his own. He saw Ozzy throwing up a peace sign and he loved how it gave his fans something to connect with and throw back at him. Ronnie goes, hey, I can't go around doing this because Ozzy's doing that. So he thought, my grandmother, she's from Italy. 
and they have this thing called the Maloik, right? Started out like this. So the devil horns were a way to ward off evil. Dio's grandma used to ward off evil, and not only was it like this, it'd be accompanied with a spit to ward off the bad spirits. Well, Dio took that to the stage, made it like this, and it became the iconic symbol that we know today as the devil horns. Because Dio was coming from Black Sabbath, which was considered to be a satanic band, it got appropriated to be this sign of evil, but it never was. In fact, it was the complete opposite. Even though the horn's origins remain misunderstood, they're still universally associated with Dio. But after Dio's passing in 2010, Gene Simmons claims he invented the sign, even trying to trademark the symbol. If you know Gene Simmons or know stories about Gene Simmons, he's always ready to trademark anything. The incredible, outrageous rock group wants you to kiss your face. And you can't fault him for that, you know? Kiss has made a lot of money over the years merchandising everything. Now, you can wear the official Kiss jacket. Although there is some legitimacy to it that he's the one that started it. Because if you look at the cover of Love Gun, their album from 1977, his fingers happen to be in that shape in the lower part of the album. But really, does he have a case? You can't put a patent on this, can you? I mean, maybe you can. Maybe he's smarter than the rest of us. But a week after Gene launches his trademark claim, he gets hit with a bombshell, a lawsuit against Gene if he continues. But it's not Dio's family issuing the threats. It's coming from a woman named Jinx Dawson. Who invented the devil horns? It might be Jinx Dawson of Coven. Coming up, we learn more about the hard rock goddess Jinx Dawson, and we finally answer the question, who was the real founder of the Devil Horns? There's proof they were doing it. That's what they did on their artwork of their album. And later, did Tupac Shakur fake his own death? Until the case is closed, there's still gonna be that looming thought, did someone really kill Tupac? The Devil Horns, widely considered the invention of heavy metal icon Ronnie James Dio. But after Dio's passing in 2010, Gene Simmons claims he invented the sign, even trying to patent the symbol. But is there someone else entirely who created the Devil Horns? Jinx Dawson is the woman who invented the Devil Horns. Jinx Dawson, the lead singer of the band Coven, was throwing up the Devil Horns before anybody else. There's proof they were doing it. That's what they did on their artwork of their album. Coven made a record in 1969. It's got a gatefold cover, and they're doing devil seance thing. They're showing the devil horns. In 2017, Jinx threatens to sue Gene Simmons, claiming that she's the true godmother of heavy metal. I think we've got to give it to Jinx Dawson. She said this is a universal sign, the gesture, and it's for everybody. I think it belongs to Coven, and Dio made it popular. Many people have tried to claim it. It doesn't belong to anyone. Ronnie never invented the Maloic sign, but he definitely wasn't the first person to do it and won't be the last person. The fact that it's a woman who has the devil horns, I kind of like it. 
September 6th, 1996. Shakur and a record company executive had just left the Mike Tyson title fight. They were on their way to a nightclub. Tupac was in the car with Marion Suge Knight, who was grazed by a bullet. The controversial MTV award winner who sold millions of records was on life support for the last six days. Trouble plagued rapper and actor Tupac Shakur is dead at the age of 25. No one has ever been arrested for Tupac's murder. This is the official story, but some fans don't buy it. I'm not convinced that he's gone. There's been sightings still. And they have the evidence to prove that Tupac Shakur still lives. Until the case is closed, there's still going to be that looming thought. Did someone really kill Tupac? Tupac Shakur exploded onto the rap scene with 1991's Tupacalypse Now. The rap world has never seen anyone like him before. I like to think I'm revolutionary to bring change. Tupac is that person, multifaceted, that just changed the dynamic of hip-hop music. He acted, he rapped, sang, and did everything, and was a rebel. Tupac is our Elvis. But by 1996, Tupac knows that he's got a target on his back. Hip-hop at that time was so caught up in the East Coast, West Coast rap battle with Death Row Records and Bad Boy Records. They see us and they want the drama, we're going to definitely bring it like only Death Row could bring it. The beef between Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls, there's basically this rivalry that grows and grows and grows. Tupac reps the West Coast, while the notorious B.I.G. reps the East. The battle lines were drawn two years before when Tupac was shot in New York before a recording session. They ordered him to the floor. Tupac resisted. He was shot numerous times. The three assailants got away. Pac survives and immediately suspects that Biggie orchestrated the attack. Biggie, remember when I used to let you sleep on the couch and make a trick to let you sleep in the house? Now it's all about Versace. You copy my style. Five shots couldn't drop me. I took it and smell. Anybody operating in the world that Tupac Shakur was operating in had a lot to be paranoid about. He was constantly mouthing off about people, some very dangerous people. But Tupac's not just dissing Biggie on his tracks. I hope they bury me and send me to my rest. Headlines reading murder to death, my last breath. He begins hinting at a bigger plan. Tupac Shakur ran with some real violent dudes. He had a lot of stress where you can easily say, you know, his life might have been easier if he could have faked his own death. Like he predicts, death comes for Tupac. But that doesn't stop his creative output. To date, Pac has released seven posthumous records. That's the consciousness of everybody. What's going on here? We're still hearing fresh music from Tupac. He's still got to be alive. And as the years go on, more and more evidence of Tupac's survival comes to light. There are little slip-ups from powerful people. Best rapper alive, Tupac. There have been people who have taken photographs, posted videos. There is so much to whether or not we still have this icon on the planet. 
if somebody was gonna try to disappear, skip out on the trappings of fame and skip out on that life and decide that they wanted to live their life in secret, Tupac would be the guy to do that. Coming up, Tupac performs live. And does Suge Knight know where Tupac is? Tupac not dead. Do you know he's somewhere smoking a Cuban cigar? And later, find out who was rock and roll's greatest muse. She was loved by two of the biggest names in rock history. Whenever she was around, these guys just wilted and fell. Tupac Shakur's death has been shrouded in controversy and conspiracy ever since that fateful night. Seven albums have been released since his supposed death. His lyrics lead some to believe he faked his own murder. And sightings worldwide have kept up fans' hopes that the legend lives on. Nah, my boy Tupac, he's not dead. After he died, supposedly, he was still dropping the craziest heat. Then, in 2012, Tupac makes a live performance. In 2012, Coachella, he gets up on stage. Everyone melts. I mean, people that didn't believe he was alive, people that believed he was alive, everybody went, there's no way they could fake this. That's too good. What the is up, Coachella? Coachella? The way it was done, the vocals, everything, everyone says, no, that wasn't done with old tapes. That was new stuff. That was new. And that led to people going, well, he's not really dead. He's only playing dead. And in 2014, Suge Knight seems to confirm the theory. Suge Park not dead, If he was dead, they'd be resting on dude for murder. You know he's somewhere smoking a Cuban cigar. I hope he's alive. I've heard the stuff everybody else has heard, you know, that he's off in Malaysia, hanging out and having a good time, or he's in Thailand riding an elephant. I hope he is. I really do. I hope he is. I don't want him to be gone either. I'm not convinced that he's gone. I think Tupac is chilling. I think he's somewhere relaxed, a lot of facial hair, probably unrecognizable with his shirt on till he takes it off and reveals that thug life tattoo, but I think he can get away with it. They say that when you die, you die twice. You die on the day you actually die and then the day that everyone forgets about you. That's never gonna happen with Tupac Shakur. For an artist, a muse is that special person who inspires talent, leading to timeless art. Edie Sedgwick with Dylan, Marianne Faithful and Jagger, even Marilyn Monroe who motivated Elton John and Madonna. All are legendary muses whose mere presence led to some of music's most iconic songs. But there is one woman whose influence seems greater than anyone past or present. Her name, Patti Boyd. Certainly, Patti Boyd is one of the ultimate rock and roll insiders. We never saw a muse like her. She was loved by two of the biggest names in rock history. Whenever she was around, these guys just wilted and fell. 
Patty's tale starts in Britain, 1962. Whereas an 18-year-old, she's an aspiring model. Patty Boyd comes to London. She's doing some modeling. She's in Vanity Fair. She's on Vogue. Richard Lester used Patty in a commercial. He wants to put her in a movie he's working on, which happens to be a hard day's night. This is where George first gets to chat her up. She becomes friends with George Harrison. And friendship quickly turns to romance. And they really made it a point to prioritize their relationship. The two marry in 1966, and Harrison begins writing songs about his new wife. I Need You in 1965. Then in 1969, the timeless classic, Something. But along the way, something curious happens. George Harrison introduces his wife, Patty, to his buddy, Eric Clapton, who immediately becomes smitten. Eric Clapton starts working with George Harrison in 1968, recording the guitar solo on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. I mean, here you have George Harrison, one of the great rock and roll stars. His best friend is another great rock and roll star, Eric Clapton of Cream. And Eric Clapton has fallen in love with George Harrison's wife. Has as much drama as the royal family. Patty was married to George Harrison. Eric Clapton fell in love with her, tried to steal her away and inspired one of the best songs and albums that we've ever heard. Clapton writes the song Layla, the ultimate song about desperate love. He is so brokenhearted because he cannot have this woman. This is his best friend's girl. It is the classic storyline, and yet he's living it. It was a secret, but he laid it all out on that record, uh, and he meant for her to hear it. In 1970, Eric Clapton writes the song Layla, a ballad about unrequited love. Turns out the tune is about George Harrison's wife, Patty Boyd, and the song becomes a not-so-discreet love letter, asking Patty to leave her famous husband. But Patty declines choosing to stay married to her beetle. Patty was a little concerned about a relationship with Eric Clapton. He was dealing with some pretty dark substance stuff, and she didn't want to go near that until he had cleaned up. So Patty Boyd stayed married. When Patty rebukes Clapton, he begins dating her sister. Meanwhile, with her marriage to Harrison on the rocks, Patty dates another icon. Even after we have all this evidence of these two men pining for Patty Boyd, she doesn't run off to Eric Clapton's arms. She instead has an affair with Ron Wood. So the affair with Ronnie Wood ends the marriage with George Harrison. Clapton cleans up and comes back, and that's when he and Patty get together finally. Eric and Patty marry in 1979, and a surprising guest shows up for the wedding, George Harrison. George seemed to have no issue with Eric and Patty getting married. He shows up at the wedding along with Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Eric Clapton finally gets the girl, and we got some good music out of it. Wonderful tonight, that statement of what he's feeling for her in that moment. Every woman wants that. And I say But the marriage doesn't last. 
Patty divorces Clapton in 1989, just like she did George a decade earlier. She's now settled down with property developer Rod Weston, leaving the tumultuous world of musicians behind. Patty Boyd's legacy obviously is the music, what we have, what she inspired, what she was a part of, but also true enough to herself and true enough to the men that she loved. And when things weren't working, she walked away. She said goodbye on her terms. It's a spirit, it's always an attitude. She had something within her that everyone felt around her. Has there been a greater muse? Probably not. Music history is filled with legendary characters whose impact will never die. Patty Boyd will always be music's greatest muse. Tupac's legacy will always live on. Dio and Jinx Dawson will always have the devil horns. And they will always be part of music's greatest mysteries. Thank you for joining us for Music's Greatest Mysteries, where we investigate the legendary mysteries surrounding the biggest names in music. Now remember, if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Also, go ahead and leave us a review and don't keep the show a secret. Tell a friend. <laughs>